My name is John Chafee. I was trained as a pastor and this is one of the ways in which I try to do something good with that education. This is Begin Again. So if you are looking for a nuanced or interesting take on the Jesus tradition and all of its wisdom and all of its perplexity and mystery, then you found the right place. I sincerely hope that this helps you to rethink some things, to maybe grow in your own way for health and holiness, for your benefit and for the benefit of those around you. So again, welcome to Begin Again. Yeah, so did you enjoy that introduction? Uh, thank you for the suggestion, Jess. That was a great idea. It took me about a half hour to, to make that, to come up with a strum pattern and what to say. I hope, it's, I hope it was fun because <laughs> it's not super polished, but it was fun. So this one is called The Least Last Wait, The Least Last Lost Latest and the Late. And this, uh, this is a fun one. I'm excited for this one because I'm going to try to pace myself a little better in my speech and, and see how this goes. We're going to look at uh, a passage uh, from this book in the New Testament called Hames, also known as James. And it's written by the little brother of Jesus. So that's pretty remarkable, right? But what's... What's going on with the title here? Why the least, the last, lost, latest, and the late? Wow, that's a tongue twister, right? Well, it kind of comes down to this idea of what do we mean when we talk about the good news? And maybe it'd be fun to do a whole series on good news things. Maybe this could be one of them, you know? And when we think about the good news, when we think about Jesus and whatever it means to say the good news, it probably carries with it a little bit of a hurdle. Because in the book of Galatians, there was a, a guy named Paul who was writing to the region of Gaul, which is known as modern day France. And he has some very strong words against people that are not teaching the gospel correctly. He actually goes so far as to say, I hope that they castrate themselves. <laughs> That's right. That's in there. Go ahead, look it up in Galatians. He actually says that. But then he doesn't exactly go on to say exactly what the gospel is. What is the good news? And Jesus, at the very start of his ministries, he shows up on the scene and he says, rethink everything, people. The kingdom of heaven is near. And it's fascinating that he says that because what does it mean to say the good news of the kingdom is coming near right well there's an ancient ancient tradition of saying that god is on the side of those that are hurting the most and that's what we have here uh, in the new testament there are some passages in which jesus talks about the least of these which might be a reference to the apostles being sent out. It might be a reference to other people that are disabused and, and as Howard Thurman might say with their backs up against the wall. 
But a while ago, I gave a, a little sermonette that was titled the same thing, and I thought it'd be fun to just expand it further. So we're going to talk through who are the least, who are the last, who are the lost, who are the latest, and who are the late. Because the good news should be good news for everyone, but primarily for these people, the least, the last, the lost, the latest, and the late. And of course, you might have been this whole time thinking of particular passage that says, the first will be last and the last will be first. And so there's always been, uh, in the Christian tradition, this understanding of an upside-down kingdom. You could say it's the opposite of the kingdoms that we usually see. So imagine all of the Israelite slaves at the bottom of the pyramid looking up at the Pharaoh standing on the top of the pyramid with that same shape. And so there's many at the bottom and one at the top. Well, the Christian narrative is the inverse of that. It's an upside down pyramid. It's a pyramid scheme, but it's an upside down one in which the least, the last, the lost, the latest, and the late are raised up. And there's one at the bottom, the God that's the servant of all. And so the Christian narrative is the complete reversal of all power structures that we see in the world today. The one is the servant and the savior of the many. And all of those that we might assume are at the bottom of the society are in the kingdom of God at the very top because the first shall be last and the last shall be first. So when people say that faith should not be political, I, I immediately think they just don't understand it. Not to say that they're uh, bad people. I don't mean that way. But people are often taught an understanding of the faith that that is actually hmm, excusing or allowing, or dare I say, sometimes even sanctifying or even blessing the Pharaoh-type power structures that has few at the top and the many, the least, the last, the lost, the latest, and the late at the bottom, incapable of changing their stance or state in life. So again, let's go through them. Let's talk through each of these five L words. <laughs> and then let's, uh, we're going to read a passage from James and then uh, we're going to wrap it up. All right. So let's define the terms, shall we? Who are the least? Okay. Well, I would wager to say that the least are the ones that you least expect to benefit from? Who are the people around you or in your life that you expect the least from? These are the least. They have no stance. They've got no money. They have no abilities. They have no um, financial, mm, or I guess we already said that, no power structure to back them up. You stand to benefit the least from these people. That would be the least. Who are the last? Well, let's say the last are the ones you would not expect to get ahead in life. They're not first in line 
they're the last in line. These are the people that you think, man, these people will always be at the back. They don't put a foot forward or maybe they can't put a foot forward to trying to better their own lives. They are the last people that we would think to be movers and shakers in the world. These are the last. What about the lost? The lost could be the ones that you think in your definition of the world are the ones that lost the plot, the story. They lost the point. They lost their way. They're the people that didn't follow the normal structure or the normal hmm, ordering of life that maybe you thought they were supposed to follow. So let's say you thought that you were supposed to go to high school and then go to college and then get married and then maybe before or after buy a house and then have kids and then keeping the same job. And so that order as they go through gets disrupted. Are there people that you think lost the plot? They didn't go to college. They didn't get a job when they were supposed to. They didn't get married. They didn't have kids as they were supposed to. Uh, and so are these people the ones that lost the storyline? Maybe they don't fit into your narrative for what you thought the average life is supposed to be. Who are the latest? The latest, this is important, especially in, in light of Ukraine and the current crisis in Russia. The latest, they're the most recent victims of abuse and oppression. The ones, get this, that empire deems are expendable. And when I say empire, I, I mean back to that pharaoh or Egyptian mindset with the pyramid. Pharaoh would look at the Egyptian, uh, Pharaoh would look at the Israelite slaves and think any one of them are indis are, sorry, expendable. Any one of them can be done away with. Any one of them are beneath us. They are interchangeable cogs. And this has actually been a, a proven, unfortunately, proven mindset throughout every generation. It happened with slavery in America where people were deemed to be expendable. But to the divine, to God, no one is expendable. And so what does it mean to say that there's good news for the people that are the latest victims of violence or abuse or oppression? What does it mean to say, oh no, these latest people, we should care about them too. Are they suffering? Yeah, we need to care about them. What's the good news have to say for them? And then of course, who are the late? Well, these are the ones in two senses that are late to quote, work in the vineyard they're the ones who are late to turning their lives around. These are the people that became, I don't know, they became religious at too late of a point. And now you're a little frustrated that they get it, that they get the favor, that they get the accolades possibly. Who are the people that, my goodness, maybe even have passed away? The late, you know? Is there good news for the people who are, quote, late? 
And so here's here's the thought. Okay, here we go. Now let's let's get a little bit further into it. The good news of the kingdom that Jesus seems to be about in the New Testament is that the kingdom is an upside down kingdom in which the one serves the many. We already said that, that the king becomes the servant, that God, the divine, washes the feet of mankind. And so this whole foot washing thing is just absolutely amazing. Why? Because God does not show favoritism, but does notice, feel for, and want to help the least, the last, the lost, the latest, and the late. You know, that the divine actually wants to pay them mind when the rest of the world wants to pay them no mind that would rather feel like it should show favoritism to the people at the top. So what are some examples? I've already kind of inferred or referenced the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus has got God actually caring for the plight of the Israelites who in Egyptian culture at that time, they were the least, the last, the lost, the latest, and the late. Hmm? Well, also there's the Hebrew prophets who were railing on the kings and priests of their day for not being on the side of the least, the last, the lost, the latest, and the late. I mean, religious communities sometimes exclude the least, the last, the lost, the latest, and the late, and instead show favoritism to people that are not those. Certainly, political spheres do that as well, right? But let's read something from the little brother of Jesus. <laughs> so, James, I think he became a bishop or just a high-ranking person in Jerusalem in the later days of his life. James was at one point understood as being an individual who had, quote, elephant-skinned knees because he spent so much time on his knees praying. Isn't that interesting? Well, James says this. He says, My brothers and sisters, do you with your acts of favoritism really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? <laughs> How about that? He actually thinks that favoritism is proof that they don't <laughs> uh, really believe in Jesus. If you show favoritism to those on the top, to the exclusion of those on the bottom, that's a disqualifier for James. We're only reading verse one so far. <laughs> oh man. All right, number two, or verse two. For if a person with gold rings and in fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, and if you take notice of the one wearing fine clothes and say, have a seat here, please, while the one who is poor, you say, stand over there or sit at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Ooh. Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. 
Is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you into court? Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that was invoked over you? You would do well if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Oof. This is from the little brother of Jesus. What a punch, right? This is in the New Testament. And so to all these people that prefer to think that the gospel has only to do with spiritual matters, but doesn't have to do with the least, the last, the lawless, wait, the least, the last, the lost, the latest, and the late. Well, as I said before, for James, if you show favoritism to those at the top, it's actually proof that you maybe don't really believe. It's a disqualifier that you actually are a person following the Jesus tradition, following in Jesus' footsteps, following the teachings of this life and death and resurrection and ascension and teachings of Jesus. How crazy is that? Okay, but we've got to ask maybe a few more questions, all right? We need to fully flesh this out. What's the deal with favoritism? Why is it that we seem to value the greatest, the first, the found, the never victims, and those that were first in line? I guess we could already say we said that, but you know what I mean. Why does the myth of favoritism need to be dismantled? Why does, why does that need to be taken apart? Well, because it might be proof that we actually think that God favors the greatest, the first in line, the always found, never victimized, those with prolonged life. But that's not exactly the case, is it? We tend to associate being the greatest, the first, the always found, the never victimized, um, those with the longest life, as the ones whom God favors, but there's no favoritism within the divine. So why would we think that? And what's going on that we think that our chances of being greatest first, always found, never victimized with the longest life is it happens by means of associating with those people, with congratulating those people, with flattering those people. Ooh, it's, it's a little messy, isn't it? We, we tend to strive for these things. We tend to strive to become the greatest, the first, the found, or let's say the never lost. We could say it that way, the never victimized, right? But we tend to favor those people to the exclusion that actually need the help. And so the to live out the gospel of the good news of the kingdom doesn't mean that you associate with the powerful, those on top, the rich, the pharaohs of the world. It actually means that you identify with solidarity with those on the bottom of Pharaoh's pyramid. So what, I mean, what does this have to do with celebrity culture, with new age gurus in a world that doesn't value mentors? What do we do with, my goodness, 
Who cares what's going on in the lives of the celebrities? Why do we care so much? Have they achieved it? Have they achieved the kingdom? No. Because the kingdom is upside down. Okay. So here's the thought, though. Our values dictate what we notice. And if you go through life only noticing the greatest, the strongest, the first in line, the people that never made a mistake, if you've only noticed people that are strong victors who have never been victimized, if you only notice people with long life but don't notice others, it actually tells you something about your values. So if, do you notice when people are the least? Do you notice when people are the last in line? What about the latest victims? Do you notice them? What about the late? And the reason I say that is because God notices those people. The divine notices those people. If you were to go back and read the biographies of Jesus, he consistently notices and validates and invites and often has dinner with the least, the last, the lost, the latest, and the late. So much so that it pisses off the religious leaders of his day. The Pharisees are saying, look at this man who dines and eats and sits and talks with sinners and prostitutes. Look at him. He's a glutton and a drunkard because he's enjoying life with those at the bottom of the pyramid. This is an upside down kingdom. And here's why this is so powerful. This is why this is such a radical shift. Up until this point in human history, most religions were understood as being the best because their people were on top. Their people could crush others. They were the strong. They were the rich. And then comes in this person of Jesus who completely subverts the entire religious systems of the day that said, if you follow God, you'll be at the top. Well, here's Jesus of Nazareth showing up and showing that, no, following God doesn't mean you'll be at the top. Following God means that you'll sit with God at the bottom. And that is a radical, man, a radical iOS update, just like on your phone. When your phone does iOS updates, yeah, Jesus of Nazareth inaugurated a massive iOS update on religion itself when he said, following God does not mean that you'll be great. Maybe it means that you should be joining God at the bottom as he washes the feet of the least, the last, the lost, the latest, and the late. This is not a liberal agenda. It's not a conservative agenda. It's actually Hebrew ethics. This is what the kingdom of God is like. This is actually, in some sense, this is what it means to be deeply Christian. 
to be a servant of those who are at the bottom. Okay, so let's wrap this up. <laughs> oh, the least, the last, the lost, the latest, and the late are somehow the real litmus test of what it means to be on the Jesus path. And over time, we have made it to be about making sure that somebody checks all the boxes. Yes or no, did they subscribe to all of the tenets of the Apostles' Creed? Yes or no, did they hold tightly to all of the Nicene Creed? Do they read <laughs> the right books? Do they attend the right services? Do they say the right things in Bible studies? All of those things are good, but they're not the end in and of itself. And in fact, if these things do not help to cultivate within us eyes that notice or a heart that wants to suffer with the least, the last, the lost, the latest, and the late, then we have good reason to possibly say this person is not actually on the Jesus path. And I say that again in reference to what James already says. Let's read it in different, slightly different translation. My friends, you believe in our Lord Jesus Christ who reigns in glory and you must always be impartial. How about that? Always be impartial. So for James, his litmus test was the activities of a person. What did they notice? How did they serve? How did they align with the people that have been crushed by a system or even an institution? Yes or no, do you know how to, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, throw a spoke into the wheels of injustice and cause it to stop? It's not enough to just say the wheels of injustice are crushing people. We got to throw a spoke into it. And I challenge you, if you want, Google after this Isaiah 58, because it's a chapter in which Isaiah talks about, quote unquote, what is true fasting. For him, fasting is not about abstaining from food. True fasting is about abstaining from injustice, oppression, maliciousness, crushing those at the bottom of the pyramid. For him, true fasting was about caring about what Jesus calls the weightier matters of the law, of justice and mercy and faithfulness. So this one, this episode was, my goodness, a pretty straightforward commentary, right? On the importance of, for lack of a better word, social justice. I know that that phrase aggravates some people and it turns them off and they have immediate associations with it. However, God is actually deeply, deeply concerned with whether or not this world judiciously 
<laughs> remember last episode, judiciously knows how to treat all people with impartiality, to stop showing favoritism to the greatest, the first, the never lost, the never victimized, those with the longest lives, but instead asks, how can we make sure that there's a quality life for all people here? And if everyone really is my neighbor, then I really should work at trying to treat all of my neighbors equally. So, may you, the listener, come to find yourself noticing and valuing and taking up the cause of the least, the last, the lost, the latest, and the late. And in that, may you find yourself actually following in the footsteps of Jesus, not just in word, but finally also in deed. May we each encourage one another to notice, again, the least, the last, the lost, the latest, and the late. Grace and peace to you.